Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's <laughs> Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. The vibes never stop. We are here to discuss a thrilling North London derby at the Emirates. And when's the last time we've been excited to talk about that? I honestly can't remember. Uh, but first, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. Now that that's out of the way, let's try this again. Coming to us from the Art House Cinemas of East Atlanta, it's Ben Daniels. Ben, how are you doing this week? I'm doing well. The last time we were excited about a North London Derby was spring of 2022 when we beat Arsenal and deprived them of the Champions League. When's the and last time we were excited about under a Antonio Conte? When's the last time we were excited about one at the Emirates, though? I don't know. I think Eunice Kabul did something. Does that sound right? It's 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 been a minute. Uh, and unfortunately, our my other faithful co-host Brian Ashlock has a case of the sniffles this week. Uh, you know, I couldn't possibly comment on what's going on there. So we have a worthy pinch hitter joining us uh, from the Dodgers lineup. It's Ryan Rosenblatt. Ryan, how are you doing this week? I'm doing great. I was doing better during the first intro before you fucked it up, but I'm still doing okay. You know, we, we, we like to keep a kayfabe on here, Ryan. Come on, don't sell me out like that. Uh, how are you? How are you dealing with the big Ange era? I don't think we've I don't think we've had you on since the season started. Uh, I could be wrong, but I don't think we've had you on since the season started. So how how are you liking uh, Big Ange instead? I mean, it's it's as someone who. Uh, came on this podcast for several years and said blow it all up and start over i'm having a great time because we finally blew it up and started over and it's going according to plan so in conclusion big Ange made me right and i like that <laughs> that's because being right on the internet is really what is most important <laughs> so we have a north london derby to talk about as i've said in a wonderful transition I can't, I, I honestly, I mean, we, we alluded to this in Ben's intro. I can't remember the last time I felt this good coming out of a derby at the Emirates. I think there was like a league cup match um, when Unai Emery was still coaching Arsenal that we won. But I mean, that place has been a house of horrors of us for a while. And, you know, I think the most important thing of this game, no matter the, what the result was going to be, was how did we play against Arsenal? And I think we passed that test with flying colors. Uh, ben, uh, since you're back with us from uh, the you know land of early bedtimes this week, how how are you feeling after the game? <laughs> I was in Denver, not the land <laughs> of early bedtimes. Um, so. You're right. Technically, that would be a later bedtime for us. So. Yeah, I mean, you know, going into the game, Andrew was very clear about what the expectations for the match were. It was we're here as you know, game six in our new era of Ange ball and all that matters is can we play our football against a good team? How do we respond to adversity? And, you know, can we go toe to toe playing the way we want to play? And I think mostly that was a huge success. Um, I think we didn't necessarily play the as swashbuckling of football as we've seen 
but given the quality of opposition, given the location, given the occasion, I thought not only did we play our football pretty well, but we played not our football very well also. Um, I thought we were very strong and safe and responsible defensively in a way that I was not really sure we'd be capable of doing. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, and they scored two fake goals and we scored two real goals. So I'm pretty happy. Yeah, Arsenal didn't create a goal from opening play. It's For opening play, it's worth uh, it's worth remembering that. Brian, uh, I, this would have been wild, out-of-control football for, like, both of our previous man- permanent managers. This was, I mean... You know, we've joked on this podcast this season that, you know, and and just playing with all gas, no breaks. And I mean, if this is us playing with breaks, I'm 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 pretty happy with how we're looking. Yeah, I mean, I think the the really encouraging part, and I think we've kind of seen shades of this before earlier in the season in the way that we've killed off games and we had a lead late, is that we've seen that Ange can change our approach and be a little bit more realistic about the game in front of us, whether that's because of opponent or game state or time, whatever it is. Um, but without breaking the system, like it still very clearly looks like Ange ball. Like the, the shape is the same. The desire to be on the front foot is the same. It's just, you know, we, in this match, you can kind of see the way that we use a doggy. And then in other games, you can see kind of the way that we keep the ball in certain places and what, ball forward we would normally play that we're like you know what let's not play that right now because we're killing off this game and so it's really encouraging to see really like we have these other clubs in the bag but like we're not grabbing a whole new set it's just like oh no this is this is how we play but look how many different ways we can play within the way that we play and i think that's a thing that i didn't really ever doubt that Ange had I am really surprised at how capably we're able to do it this early in the season, though, because I thought it would be a scenario of all gas, no breaks. There is no plan B uh, because we have to instill this system and we've got to just really nail on. This is how we're going to play. And we're going to go through 15, 20 games of that. And, you know, on a couple occasions, probably get embarrassed because we don't have a plan B. Um, And that's kind of what I was expecting. And that would have been totally fine with me. But the fact that we're in game six and we've already shown two, three different ways to play all within the same system is wildly impressive to me. Yeah, I, I, Nathan Clark talked about this on the Extra Inch this week, and it's something I've been like, it's been sort of percolating somewhere in my subconscious watching Spurs this year as well, which is like, I'm really impressed by how much we seem to just adapt to shit on the fly, like whether it's moving guys around, trying different approach approaches it's 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 really interesting the the way that we've responded to this and i don't know if maybe i'm clearing a very low bar because you know conte was so just like we're gonna fucking do this and if it doesn't work we're gonna keep doing it till you figure it out um you know that we've got a manager who's more willing to like you know shift a guy here okay we're gonna play like this now i'm gonna you know do this do that it's just it's it's really refreshing to watch yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Ryan gestured at, at Udagi uh, in particular as a guy who was a little bit different than than we've seen. You know, the story of his season so far is he has taken to this underlapping, inverted fullback role where he helps dominate the middle of the park. Um, and he's been spectacular there. 
Um, and he didn't really do that this week. He was, you know, by design forced to stay a little wider and keep an eye on Saka, who's, you know, Arsenal's probably most dangerous player. Um, and, you know, the team's shape was a little unusual as a result of that. But like Ryan said, it didn't change the fundamentals of how we were approaching it, but there was a recognition that like this space in behind the fullback that we normally leave vacant can't be left unattended for Saka. And, you know, it was a little rough going at the beginning, but by the end of the match, uh, you know, Udagi had him comfortably in his pocket. And it was just, again, it was just a nice, subtle change within the normal system that worked really well to, you know, stifle Arsenal's attack and not really take a lot off the table for our own. Um, and there's a lot of little bits like that around the pitch, but that was, I think, the most telling, I think, change um, within our normal personnel. I think another thing that is this game reinforced with what we've just been talking about, um, but reinforced what I find so refreshing about Big Ange is, like, I feel like we're coaching players again, which is, I know that sounds strange, but we, you know, I, I want to say going back to, like, it's been since, like, early era Pochettino that we've had a manager who, like, is working to improve players or trusting young players or, you know, putting guys in situations to succeed. Whereas I want to say sort of late era Pochettino, Mourinho, Conte, we have these managers who were demanding finished products, who weren't finding ways to bring guys along or trusting young players. You know, the fact that, you know, Ange left, I, I, I'm going to pick on two guys right here, not really pick on them, but single them out, is um, Udogi and Udogi and Sar he left them in when they got in a lot of trouble early on and trusted them to play their game. And like you were saying, uh, like both of you guys have been saying, play game, play a game that's slightly different this week than it's been in previous weeks. But, you know, he put a lot of trust in two very young, relatively inexperienced. And I know Sarge played a lot of first, both of them played a lot of first division football, but still, you know, in terms of in his system, in this league, in this team, you know, relatively inexperienced players and just, trust them to get on with it. And probably one of the biggest games that we're going to play this season was, you know, against a team that challenged for the title until the last few weeks of last year. It's, it's, it's really nice to watch a manager who approaches the team and approaches his own players and approaches young players that way. Yeah. I mean, I think the two of the in particular beyond, I mean, the, the trust and system and confidence that Ange just put in them and enabled them to play so well, but just kind of individually on a personal level, I was wildly impressed by both of them, despite the fact that I think it's, this was probably the worst game that either of them has played this season. Um, they both made mistakes. They both like potentially terrible mistakes. I mean, destiny played the ball straight in for a shot, right? at goal. I mean, star was giving the ball away left and right. and looked really shaken by their press, but at no point did we see them ever resort to, booting the ball long and no point did we see them just like not wanting to show for the ball at no point did we see them just like backpedaling 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 to give space did we see them doing anything rash getting down on themselves lashing out in any way and for young players like that to basically get pressed out of their normal game within the first 20 minutes bluntly look terrible and then just keep their head down and keep going like that's so wildly impressive by both of them. And while I, 
I never really doubted that they were going to be good players. Like I've been pretty confident in both of them for a while now. Um, it's pretty astonishing to come out of a match like this, which I, like I said, I, I think it's the worst match either of them have played this season and be so much more confident that they are going to be really, really good players, medium and long term. And that's absolutely how I feel because there's kind of that. I knew they had the physical part in them. I knew that they knew how to play soccer. I, I, I had no reason to believe or not believe that they could handle um, like just getting punched in the face the way that they did and handle the pressure the way they did. And they both did it so well that I'm like, oh, they, they've got it. They've got the emotional and like mental maturity and makeup to be able to match their physical gifts. And like that is I, besides the draw, besides the result, besides Sun playing like a superstar, Vicario making some good saves, like Van de Ven is really good. Like all the things that came out of this match that are really, really encouraging. That's honestly the most encouraging thing I took out of this match is two young players who we really weren't sure how they were going to handle something like this. I have no doubt that they are able to handle pretty much anything you put them in now. And I think that really speaks to the kind of trust we're talking about and not just Ange trusting them, but them trusting Ange and everybody trusting the system, you know, that Ange is not telling them, you know, when you get in trouble, you know, hook the ball away. He says, I trust you to play this way and I trust you to bounce back when you make mistakes. And they share that trust and say, you know, I believe in what this guy is telling me and I'm just going to keep my head down and follow those instructions because I know it's going to work out and I know, you know, that they're capable of doing it. Um, and again, to just to build those relationships on and off the pitch so quickly to have everybody just willing to say, you know, there's a lot of quotes from people like I think Madison talked about getting his pocket picked in the box and giving away a shot. And, um, you know, people aren't afraid to make those mistakes and they're not they understand that that comes with the territory and if they just keep their heads down and keep playing the way that they're taught it's going to work out and yeah i think just that's such a testament to to how impressive what we're building and how quickly we're building it um it's just it's really special it's great and and i think like there was i want to say it was around the 80th minute it was pretty late in the match there was uh a period of play where Sar was like contesting a bunch of Arsenal players in possession and it wasn't reckless, but he was getting stuck in. I mean, he was throwing himself around a little bit and uh, that impressed me in particular because, you know, here's a guy who's not afraid. I mean, yeah, it's like 80 minutes. So you're pretty late in the match at that point, but you know, all that's happened, like the, the size of the occasion and, you know, what happened to him early in the match. And he's not afraid to like, play his game and do his thing and what he's told. And it was, you know, I'm sure you could find an example of your doggy doing that too, but it's just, man, it's I mean, this team, like you said, Ben, this is a really special team. And what we're seeing, I think is really special. I think it's yeah. also like all of those guys got on early yellow cards, Sar, doggy, Basuma, Romero got on one later, but like all of like the dangerous tackling players, the guys you're like nervous about on a yellow, um, you know, not only did they calm down, but but Ange did not make any, oh, we got to take this guy off before he gets himself into trouble. It was just, okay, he's on a yellow, he'll carry on, he'll play a little safer, and it'll be fine. And it, and it was. Yeah, and I think also, like, we talk about the system, and we talk about Ange and the belief he's given the team, and, and I think that's all true. And I also think that 
and this this kind of goes to good vibes FC, but like I also think that there is a trust within the team that's really like striking too, because I mean even if you look at you doggy and that terrible pass he played that put in Ketia on goal that came from a pass from Basuma that put him under a little bit of pressure. It's probably not like it's not the easiest ball to deal with, and he didn't hit it perfectly. But I think it was about three minutes later, and Basuma gave him the exact same pass again. He's like, yeah, you almost gave him a goal when I did this last time. Let's do it again. And I think that that's kind of that thing, too, where, like, yeah, it, this is all coming from Ange, and it's coming from the culture that he's setting. But, like, the way that you also see that they support each other and, like, we can sit here and and be the fanboys that we are and be like, wow, we love Son because he pushes Richarlison to the front of the line when they go to – when when he mm-hmm. scores that goal and has that assist. And we look at all these things. And, and yeah, do we go over the top and, and, and put meaning into things that are not there sometimes? Absolutely, no, because it's not, fun. not a little, not and, even a little bit. <laughs> but like there is truly a thing there where like they do buy into each other. And like th- that's a scenario where like I if I were Basuma, I don't know if I would trust you, doggy, on that again. Like I, would I play him that ball again? My instinct is no. And like there wasn't a hesitation. He's like, that's the ball we play. We play it. And then he and then he and what did he do? He just played it straight up the line like he's supposed to. And then we're moving the other direction. Like that's that type of stuff, too, where like I think you're also starting to see it. It's not just like a top down thing now. Now you're seeing it like side to side within the team. And you're seeing it, like you said, from young players, too. You were talking about Basuma. Basuma's not young, young, but, you know, you know what I mean. You're seeing it there. I don't know if you guys caught it, but after uh, Romero's own goal, uh, after that was scored, uh, Vicario went over to Romero and sort of put his arm around his chest and was talking to him, I'm presuming reassuring him. But it it wasn't like a two-second thing. I mean, it was like it went on for 30 seconds. It was a while. So I think... That's a great point, Ryan. Like everybody's building in and they're building this culture and it's really just great to watch. Yeah, and I think Vicario, I mean, also he applauded Udagi after that that bad back pass. And you know, I think it, it just you see it everywhere, even with the fans. Like, you know, Romero giving away an own goal and a penalty is the kind of performance that would normally have the fans like, you know, bang for his blood. And I really haven't seen anything but support and understanding. And like, yeah, you got hard done by on two occasions. You play a great game. You're a leader in this club. Like no one is doing that. Everyone, you know, on every level of this club is just in good spirits and in, you know, solidarity with each other. Let's um. I, I want to get to some more important points of the game in a second, but I, just since we're talking about him, I want to spend a minute on Vicario. Vicario is a really interesting player to me because I think his shot stopping has been excellent this year. I think there's no disputing that. But like, it's it's sort of like he is more than the sum of his parts. Like, I think it's helped by he is clearly a kind of a character in, in a good way, and clearly is like a good presence amongst the fans and with the players. But like, he does. I, he's such a plus. And again, I don't know if it's because Larice and Forrester were so bad last year that we're just like, you know, the bar is on the floor. But, you know, he does lots of stuff okay to good. But it's like when you combine that with the character, when you combine that with the shot stopping, it all sort of just adds up to what feels like a really special keeper. Because, like, he's not great at distribution, but he does these sort of like, he's got sort of a better than you'd expect awareness for a keeper at like, how to move the ball around the back, even if it's not like immaculate or great, it's still like more than you expect out of a keeper, how to work the angles. And it's just like, I don't know. He's like more than the sum of his parts is the way I would choose to describe, but I'm so happy he's here. He looks, that looks like a real win for the data nerds at Tottenham Hotspur. 
Yeah, I, I also think personality-wise, he fits. Like, you want a balance of personalities throughout the team. And, like, you you have your insane person in Kuti, and then you have, like, your just, like, happy guy, like, leader man and son, and then you, you have Richarlison, who's everybody's best friend. Like, you go throughout all this, and then, like, I, I think Vicario just, like, fits in very nicely, and they're like, we don't have anyone really with, like, that type of personality and like it's it's kind of one of those weird things, and it also fits because he's a goalkeeper, and like nobody should have the same personality as your goalkeeper ever. But it's like one of those things, and it, like there's a fair amount of luck in this too, um, in terms of like getting the personalities right. Because how do you find that balance? And you can think you're picking guys who are like they're good guys, they're good teammates, they're this, they're that. But then like you never know until you throw them all together. And I think we've also gotten pretty fortunate that like these personalities make sense together and he's that guy too where you're like you're the goalkeeper and you're kind of a weirdo but in a good way um and so like it's just it really is another instance of like a perfect fit of personality in the squad i really like let's be real if if you were gonna name one sec if you were gonna name a keeper whose nickname was venom you'd think it's golini but he is like remarkably stable and good for a guy who's. The I mean, that's that. just because Golini looks like a guy who has an energy drink named after yes, him. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. Or sells designer drugs on the street. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think a weirdo goalkeeper is like a really underrated asset. Like you don't want like love Hugo, great guy for the club for a really long time. Whatever. He's too serious. He's too professional. You want your goalkeeper to be a little bit of a, a lunatic. But just a little bit. Like, just a little you bit. you got to keep it within yeah. the, the red bar. You don't want, like, a full, like, Fabian Bartez. You don't want, like, a guy who's, like, really crazy out there. You don't want Jens Lehmann, but, like, <laughs> yes. a little crazy. Yeah, it's 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 not like you want him to act out all the time, but, like, you, you just want to look at him and be like, oh, you're different. Like you were definitely different. And like you look at you look at Vic and like even in the normal things he does, he does like that goal um two weeks ago. And he comes like he's like, what if I ran the entire length of the pitch, jumped on people and like kind of knocked him over and fell over? Like there's nothing wrong with that, but it's definitely different. All I can think of when I see him is the youngest brother on Malcolm in the middle saying the future is now old man. And I feel like that 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 just kind of sums up the vibe I'm getting from him when I watch him on the pitch. I'm very happy to have him. It's it, it's you know long live Spurs new analytics department. Uh, let's go to the other end of the pitch and the other age on the pitch because I want to talk about two of our more veteran players who I thought uh, had quietly good games. Um, you know maybe not as uh, influential as they always are, but the moments were certainly big, which is Son and Madison. Uh, I think we can say it is official that uh, Son is back. Uh, he I I think his second goal is one of the best Spurs goals I've ever seen in terms of like you watch it like if you watch like especially like the overhead shots of it it's like geometry and I think it's really underrated how much he completely took Raya out of the equation on that goal I mean he did such a good job he hits it with his off foot he like like Rye has no chance at saving that. It's just, it's such a good goal. He hits it first time. It's just, it was incredible. And the, and the, the first goal is like, you know, Richarlison scores that like three times out of 10. I mean, they both did an incredible job, you know, Madison turning Saka while he's doing a stupid dart celebration um, on that. It's just, God, they were so good. Those are such good goals. I mean, first of all, it's very weird for you to like minimize the contributions of Madison and son when they created and scored 
both of our goals on I the I just day. don't think they were as, like, like, dominant as they've been in other matches, Morris, is all I'm saying. And then <laughs> so it's like the, the players they're pop up at the time. They're the only names on the score sheet, but what else did they do? <laughs> and then well, also, no, no, you highlight no, no, wait, wait, wait. I don't want to pretend that the goal. nerds... I don't want to pretend that the nerds that we are and the nerds we associate with have not at, at other times been like, oh, yeah, well, they were on the score sheet twice, but, like, what did they really do? Like, because that's definitely a conversation we have all been part of at some point in our lives. Ben, continue. I'm sorry. And I just think the second crazy thing you did was highlight the second goal over the first goal. <laughs> it's which a the first goal. goal. No, it's not. It the, is. No, it's not. not the slightly. only way that it's a better goal is, and honestly, I can't believe that you of all people did not take this angle. It's a better goal because it embarrassed Arsenal more. Like that's right. the, yes. that is the oh, argument yes. for why it's a better goal. No, not geometry, you nerd. <laughs> the first goal. Uh, I really, I really love the geometry and the physics no, and the American literature of the second goal. <laughs> the first goal but is the, better. If, if you're basing it off of embarrassing Arsenal, the first goal is better. Because Madison just completely rinses Sokka, who just was, like, imitating his celebration two minutes before or whatever the fuck it was. You know, and has the opportunity to get his digs in after the match because of that. But anyway, Ben, uh, other than <laughs> other than unjustly uh, lambasting me, what else do you have to say about these goals? Yeah, I mean, the first goal, the second goal is the one that happened immediately after the Sokka celebration. They both happened pretty challenge. quick. They both had, no, no, no. It was Sokka, because Sokka did that after he scored the penalty. So he did, That was the second goal. Oh, yeah. All right, whatever. He did it after the first goal, too. He did whatever. it after both goals, because Sokka's yeah. a huge loser. You, you, like, yes. you, can't, you can't call Greg out on the specifics of the game when we're talking about the game. He's too <laughs> focused you. on the Pythagorean theorem. Yes. Let him do his fucking job. No, he did job. it after the first goal. Yeah, Sorry, no, the, I mean, the A squared plus B squared equals C squared, that second goal was... Just, it was. It looked great, you know. Man. Just because you don't appreciate, you know, the beauty of nature. <laughs> How it's all mathematics. I don't know. I thought it, I liked the second goal better, but I'm not going to complain about any goal against Arsenal at the Emirates, so or in general. I mean, the first goal was Madison ruining Sokka's life and ripping the soul from his body, and then Son in triple coverage by all of Gabriel Saliba and White somehow manages to be first of the ball, and then like does a far post off the post finish. Like in no way is that the worst goal. I, I don't. I mean, Madison actually stole Jorginho's soul. So like. Yeah, but it's Jorginho. Yeah, but you know, still, it's it's so you know that movie doesn't get old. Like, it's like Madison beating up a Make a Wish kid. Like who fucking cares? I care. That's great. I love watching him beat that kid up. Ryan, you're with me, right? No, I mean, I'm absolutely with you. I'm not with the, the fucking geometry nerd over Man, there. Fuck both of you. Oh, of course, he, how do you go from geometry to wanting to see a kid get beat up? Like, <laughs> what, bad, what? Not me. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 high, what high school drama have you been watching? Degrassi? <laughs> yeah, sure. We'd all love to see Drake get beat up. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. <laughs> well, finally, we've all come to an accord. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, Son of Madison, very, very good. <laughs> They're great. Yeah, real good. Popped up when we needed them too. Um, no, I mean, I think, I think, we, I, I, <laughs> to get back to the uh, to the unheralded player who scored two goals, um, I think that this is kind of something that I'd said to you guys before, but 
I do remember when Conte took over and Sun did not look good at the beginning. Um, and then it, he started to improve and he get got better. And I think there's kind of something to it takes him a minute to pick up the new system and to stop thinking through every single decision he's going to make. What run do I have to make? What pass do I have to make? Where do I have to look for? What do I have to do next? And you saw that with Conte, and I think you're seeing this now this season, where he just looks slow and tentative at the beginning, and then he picks up just a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, a little bit quicker, um, game by game. And I think now we're seeing that here, where like he has figured out Angus' system. He's not thinking about every single thing he's going to do. He knows what to do when he just goes. And I think that's where we are with Sun. It, it the new system. He and I, I this, now I'm just going to project upon him uh, all the things I want. He wants to be good so bad and wants to do everything right and wants to like do exactly what the manager wants that he really does get it in his own head of like, what do I do now? What do I do after that? What do I do after that? Now he just knows what it is. And I think that's why you're seeing him play so much better because all that tentativeness and that hesitation is gone. He knows what to do. And I think this is the son we're going to get now, now that he has kind of found his comfort in this system. Do you think playing center forward has some, like it's taking some of the, I don't want to say some of the thought process out of it, but do you think it simplify? I don't want us to make it sound insulting, but do you think it's simplifying things a little bit for him? I think he's playing better at center forward because he's a better fit at center forward in Andrew's system than he is on the left. Um, just because the left is asking him to do a lot of dribbling at guys to create, which is not really his strong suit. Like th- this, this is what he's better at. So I think there is an element of fit there. But I mean, even in transition, um, you're seeing him get release, get the ball, release it, make a run um, in scenarios where he wasn't doing that earlier in the season when that's it's the same ask left or center. And he just wasn't doing that quickly and with confidence at the beginning of the season that he's doing now. So I think there is. Yeah, this is a better fit for him playing in the center, at least in this system. Um, but I think it's also just a lot of it is comfort with the system. And I think we saw this before with Sun under a new manager. And I'm I'm pretty confident, like, hey, if you if we have to move him back left for any reason, if that's a thing Ange decides to do, I think he's probably not going to be quite as good because, again, it's not as good of a fit. But I don't think we're going to see the same problems that we saw from him in August. I mean, I think the thing with Sun is, is he had he didn't have that many bad games on the left. And I think before he got switched to center forward, I think the games he played there are still probably the best left wing performances we've seen out of anybody (laughs) on this team, which is unfortunate because he's also the best, you know, forward we've had. And, you know, I think, this is a big question about, you know, of like how to manage those two positions. I mean, there's something to be said there. And I assume we're going to get there about left wing too, but is Sun the best left wing, right wing, and center forward we have in this squad? <laughs> no, I mean, Kulishevsky was fantastic against Arsenal and has had a very good season. And I think you guys are really underrating his contribution so far. He has several goals and assists. He's created a lot. He is running constantly. He's He's been very good. I am very happy with Kulishevsky. Stick with Sun. We'll, we'll get to Kulishevsky in a second. but Fine. Um... I don't know. Yeah, sounds good too. Whatever. Like we all know, sounds. <laughs> oh, good. Sun's I'm, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, other than Greg, we all know that Sun is good and had a good game. <laughs> I mean, I think you know. You talk about last season, and then he. We learned this summer that he was playing with like a sports hernia all year, and like you know, you can't really like remove that from the equation of 
of how he functioned last season. But um, whether it's tactical understanding, whether it's fitness or whatever, he certainly looks like Son again. And I think that's, that's huge for us. Like, we needed Son to be – if this was ever going to work, we need Son to be something like the guy who was a star for us a couple years ago. And early early showings are, yes, we've got and, our Sonny back. And if you look at the – and the way that Ange just played before, um, the center forward is not generally a player who who does a ton of the ball progression and a ton of the buildup. He moves players around, he creates space for others, and then he finishes well. Like that's the job. I don't know. Can you think of a better player that can uh, move around and then finish from anywhere with both feet? Like it is a role that is really tailor made for Son, especially in a year where. Like, you know, the uh, number of matches we're playing is going to be a little bit down. So, like, the worries you have about saving his legs aren't quite as front and center as they might be another year. I I also want to talk about, um, and this is, I think, just from a fan perspective, because I've been a long proponent. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I've I've long been a proponent that, like, captain C doesn't really mean shit. But, like... I, or it's been wild at a minimum is wildly overvalued, but man, like as a fan, at least what a breath of fresh air he is from like, you know, robo Harry Kane, you know, like being a professional and all this bullshit. Like, you know, I mean, first of all, like I don't think Kane it ever with Kane, it ever felt like he wanted to be here as much as son does. Like, I mean, he is, maybe it's just like sort of, you know, red meat for the fans but as a fan i'm I'm lapping it up like all the shit he says all the stuff they do like the whole like let's do the let's do our team huddle in front of the away fans when we're on the road like i i don't know if that does anything for the players or the team but i love it like i'm sure the other fans love it it's it's there's something you know i've talked about this a lot on the podcast there's something about son loving us or it feels like son loves us as much as we love him that is great. And I really love having that in a player on the team. And I think especially cause I feel like we never really got that from Harry. Now that Harry's gone, it's, it's, you know, which you don't need, like, you know, Harry doesn't owe that to us or anything, but considering his importance in the team, you know, I think there always felt like a bit of a void there and having son do that is just, you know, it's like, it's like a warm blanket. It just makes you feel really good. And it's, 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 it's nice every week to have it now. I can't remember if I've talked about this before, but I just love that Ange picked three incredible vibes guys as captains. And like that just sets so much of the tone of what this club is right now. You know, I think you see a captain, usually it's like a pointy, shouty guy. It's an elder statesman. It's a, you know, respected, really good player. It's like, like it's a very serious kind of dour figure, I think, most of the time. You know, you imagine... You know, Hugo Lloris is a very different kind of captain than Son, than Romero, than Madison. And for him to pick all three guys who are, you know, kind of cheeky, very irreverent, and, like, there for a good time, you know, they're Happy not, like... Happy to be here. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm assuming like, that about Cootie, but, you know... Right, I mean, like, Romero is, like, the most serious, hard man of the bunch, and, like, you see all the time him, like, fucking around and, like you know, riling guys up. Like, he's not, like, he's not Roy Keane. He's not, like, a fucking cranky asshole. He's a goofy asshole. Uh, but, like, it just sets the tone so much for, like, what the atmosphere around every day looks like with this team. And, you know, it shows up in the kinds of celebrations and the huddles in front of the away fans and all this stuff. It's, like, it's very just good feelings and good times and not, like, 
serious business. Well, there was something again, we're reading too much into this shit, but let's talk about it because it's fun. When Son scored one of his goals, I don't remember which one, but he's like celebrating with Wait, he, he scored like, a goal. I yeah, exactly. he had this re- he had this game that no one was even guys? talking about. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, it's like you guys don't talk to all the nerds we talk to every week who don't think who think this stuff is all underrated, overrated. Anyway, Son like he did his like celebration in front of the fans. He's done this a few times this year, and then he like it's like he can't help himself. He's getting like he starts pumping himself up. He starts pumping the fans up, and it's like I don't know. Like uh, like Harry Kane was a wonderful servant for, for this club, and I'm sure some of this is me just getting over the axe, but. You know, there's something really invigorating about, like like Ben said, like about having a guy who's just like, you know, a little less serious and a little more excited. And, you know, I think just, I don't know, like Tottenham Hotspur is like, feels like a big psychology experiment at times. But there's something after the last couple of years. Any other, any other classes you want to name drop? Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, there's something really refreshing about having someone do this kind of shit after how just ugly the last couple of years have been. Yeah. I mean, I generally agree with you that often captain doesn't mean that much or it's wildly overstated. You, you don't have to. And to be fair, I've talked about this with former players and current players and like, they have said similar things like, you know, who the guy in charge is, you know, who the leaders are on the training ground, you know, who they are in the dressing room. The armband is nice and maybe signifies like a vote of approval from the manager, but you're not like just because they handed you an armband doesn't make you a leader. That's not how this works. And like they're not no one's like the young kid doesn't come in and look around and go, who's wearing the armband? Who do I need to fault? Like, you know who the leaders are. But I do think this is a scenario where captain and leadership did matter because there was such a point of transition that it wasn't obvious who the leader was. Um, there are so many new players, whether they're new this summer or who who came in a year ago and didn't play very much like a Basuma or Sar. There was no clear hierarchy. You had a new manager. You had a lot of discontent with the fans. I mean, Harry leaving opens up all this, and and there is kind of this undercurrent through the entire match of just like in this entire season of this is only possible because we sold Harry, like the expectations and the vibes and everything about this team is different. If Harry's playing there, even though Harry is really good at playing soccer, I don't know if we're a better team right now because the, that you had to turn the page to be able to get this. And so I think that does make that captaincy matter in this particular moment and say son plays for us for two more years and then he leaves um, because he's going to be 33, 34 years old, whatever it is. Assuming it goes the way that we think it's going to go and Angie's going to stay the manager and he's going to do a good job and we're going to keep building. Who becomes the captain at that point is, I think, at that point, very symbolic. It doesn't really matter because the 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 culture and the ecosystem in the locker room, that that's already sorted. But right now, it really did matter to be like, OK, we are in a large way turning the page and like Kuti's a new guy. He can be a vice captain. Madison's brand new. He is a captain. Son is a longstanding member of this team, but like he wasn't part of the leadership committee at all last year. And he has a lot of experience, not just in the team, but like captain his country. But that was a huge step up for him. So you did have that tie to the past, but still it, I think even there that signals a huge change of direction from where we've been that Ange made there. And so I think this is an area where like captaincy really does matter because 
I mean, think about how different even Brentford goes at the beginning of the season if the vibes are terrible. Think about how yeah. different it goes when we fall down twice if you start hearing things from the away section. Like, all of this does matter and feeds upon itself, and I think that all those little points have made a huge difference to this point in the season, and that includes Sun as captain and who the vice captains are. There's also, you know, you talk about turning the page because Kane's leaving. There is an opportunity, again, here that I think might not exist if Kane sticks around or there's a more established leader. But you have an opportunity to ask more of certain players on the team. And I think this is a chance where you actually can do that, whereas it's not just symbolic because of the, you know, there is such a noticeable void in leadership. on Because like you said, like you know who the top dog is when you walk into a locker room. And, you know, it was Harry. Like, we all knew that. There are reasons for it. Um but, you know, now with that gone, like you're asking Son to change the role he plays in the team a little bit. I'm sure not radically, but you're asking you're trying to get something a little different out of him. You're sending a message to Romero by by giving him leadership responsibilities. We actually, you know, some people talked about making him just straight up captain in the offseason. I thought it was ridiculous, but I think that you are seeing some benefits of making him vice captain. I think you're you're telling Madison about how you want him to behave in this club and how that's going to be you know, we value you. And also this is not going to be the same as it was at Leicester. We expect you to behave a little, not, not behave a little differently. Like you did something wrong at Leicester, but you know, we need you to take on a different role at this club than you had at your last club. There is because of that void an opportunity. And it's been, you know, like, I, I, it seems to have been a success, but certainly as a fan, I find it all very refreshing. I think there's a chicken and egg thing too. Yes. Where, but like you look at it and, and they talk about, and we know kind of the, the bond that they've developed between um, Sonny and Sar. And like, you look at Sar and you're like, you're a phenomenal, I mean, more important to our present than we really expected going into the season, but phenomenally important to our future. And like, you kind of see your captain has this kind of guy under his wing and you look at Vandeven and you look at the way that he turns to Kuti and some of the conversations they're having. And you can kind of see that he's picking up from what Kuti is doing. And, and even someone like Kuliszewski does come over and like he he talks to Madison at times and it's like they have those conversations too. And so I think did Ange name them captain because he saw that in them in preseason or did naming them captains mean that the players kind of it solidified that hierarchy and those players go towards those guys for leadership and, and for that type of thing. I don't know, but I do think that you kind of see those roles, whether the roles gave them that relationship or the relationships were shown and that's why they got those roles. I, I, I mean, I think that's really evident too when you look at some of the newer players or younger players and the way they look at those three. Uh, moving on, there's one more player I, I just want us to make sure we talk about, because this one I don't think has been talked out about a whole lot after the game. And I think that is to his credit, which is Pedro Porro who I thought had another good day at the office. And uh, I think, you know, there's been the amount of defensive lapses he's had this year have been very, very small. And I don't think any of us saw that coming, even those of us who liked him quite a bit, but it was, it's just been another chapter in a very impressive season for him. Right, Ben? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we all know who Pedro Porro is and who Pedro Porro isn't. And this was a game to prove us very wrong. I thought he had a very composed defensive day out. I thought he was very solid, you know, moving into midfield and uh, moving the ball up the pitch. And, you know, if, if I have a criticism, it was he was not very composed in the final third. Um, you know, we're all going to look at that cross to Sonny that he 
did not play very well and banged into Gabriel's shins. Uh, I think it was Gabriel. Uh, and cost us the opportunity for three points. And, you know, I think it's unfortunate that he didn't have the kind of attacking performance that we'd have liked from him, but everything else was so good. And he was so good at the things that everyone would have sworn six months ago he was not capable of doing. Um, you know, I'm willing to forgive uh, not being as clinical against, you know, one of the best teams in the league on his day um, because, yeah, he he was fantastic. I mean, I've talked a lot about the sort of left-sided unit of Madison, Udagi, Basuma, Solomon, you know, and that that mode of progressing the ball and creating chances um, that has been like the very dominant force in our attack. And today it was, or not today, but this weekend, it was very much the other side of the pitch that stepped up and Saar and Poro and Kuliszewski carried a lot of our, you know, attacking creation. Um, and, and nothing really bad came down that side either. It was just a very good performance from not the lesser lights on the team, but, you know, the guys we place. haven't really been like super excited about this season. Um, so yeah, really, really, really pleased. I, I think Pora's game also was another example of like Ange tweaking things a little bit and also trying to highlight what players can do and kind of hide what they can't. And Pora wasn't really left to do a ton of really difficult defending. And you saw Kuti kind of lean that way to provide him some help so he didn't really have to do that type of stuff. You saw um, the way that Kulisevsky came back and kind of cut out some of those balls that have exposed Poro in previous games. Um, And so being able to hide that, but then also when the press was really on us, we increasingly look to use him as an outlet and to handle that press. And I think that's an area where like you just look at really good management and then Poro yeah, he got the stuff that he's not that great at hidden, and that's great by Ange. But also, you then got to see what he really excels at, and his ability to just with one path, with one touch, just move it quickly, and then get Arsenal then tracking back instead of running at us um, in the press made a huge, huge difference. And there's probably five or six passes in there that, if you looked at a pass map, would look like generic nothing and did not play any role whatsoever in us getting a chance but were massive in terms of fending off the press and allowing us to find our footing. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we haven't really talked about Arsenal or given Arsenal any credit, but... Because they don't deserve it. The first 30 minutes of that game... They don't know geometry. They don't. (laughs) They don't. Uh, But that was a relentless press, and we really, really struggled to build out from the back, and we really struggled to... Like we had somehow 60% possession in the first half and you wouldn't know it by like the kinds of chances we created because we weren't, you know, getting it. We were playing it out from the keeper half the time. It felt like. Yeah. It was like, you know, Vicario to Romero to Poro to Romero to Vandeven to Vicario. It was, you know, the real classic Simpsons football. Uh, (laughs) But I mean, you know, these are the guys who stepped up to figure out a way around which is really one of the best pressing teams in the league right now. Um, and we eventually worked it out. And Pora was a big part of that. And not just, you know, beating the press, but also 
shutting down, like, you know, Odegaard has been one of, I think, the the better players in the league this season. He has been running everything uh, for Arsenal. And, you know, it helps that Enkedia was out there and not, like, a real winger. But, like, the way that Poro helped lock down those passing lanes to keep Odegaard from getting the ball to the front line, to keep anyone, you know, from really... Um, receiving dangerous passes in transition. He was a huge part of that. Just really happy with yeah. the boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think to your point, too, talking about Arsenal and kind of what they did and the way they pressed us, I, I also... It's one of those things, too, where I think we also learned... And I think there's a few things in this that we can talk about where we learned, like, hey, whether this is a problem problem and like we're going to have to wait another transfer window or two to solve it, or we discovered what the problem was in the way that we're playing, and next time someone does this to us, we know what to do because we figured it out. But also, I think a huge problem we had early on wasn't just that they were able to press us really well, but also once they broke the press, we then just played three square balls, let them get everyone behind the ball, and really made it so that way there was no danger to them pressing us because what so we break it then what well then they run behind the ball and they get set up their defense like that was a huge problem we gave them no reason to back off the press in addition to the fact that they're good at pressing and i think we saw that change and you, you see it um especially later in that first half when madison comes back and just first ball over the top and we break the press we started playing it quickly and i think that plays a huge role in Arsenal backing off the press. Partially, it's, you know, no team has it in their legs to press that hard for an entire game. But part of it is we started making them pay for pressing. And once they did that, they had to back off of it. And so that's another thing I take from it, whether that was Poro or Madison or Decky did it a couple times too. Um, Kuti hit one really good ball to kind of start moving quicker past, even once we got past the press, to, to turn it into an attack that took advantage of the fact that they had so many guys committed forward that was really encouraging to see us learn that. And I'm excited to see when the next team tries to press us. I think we're going to be a lot more prepared for that. Um, we're probably still not going to do the best against the press because there are still some limitations in Vicario's distribution. And and we've still got to kind of get maybe Lolo back. And that changes a lot of what we do. But I think that we found something that we we weren't doing at the beginning of the game. We figured out a way to punish them for it. And I think that's just like another club that we added to our bag in probably like the 35th minute yesterday that I think we'll see the rest of the season. I mean, yeah, I think it's, go ahead, Ben. Sorry. I was going to say, I think it's, it's really a struggle for us because we don't have the kind of long passing range in really anybody but Madison on this team. Romero. And certainly, I mean, Romero a little bit, but it's not like he's not Toby. He's not, yeah. Like Michael Dawson, you know, picking yeah. those like fucking long diagonals. Um, we just don't really have the ability to to take it long over a press. Um, and guys who, again, it's not usually their game, really stepped up in finding those those spots and and being able to, you know, break the lines with a with a pass, whether it was on the ground or in the air, um, in a way that I think is not natural for everybody. And you know, they showed up with it. We, we we talked earlier in the podcast about, like, you know, how this team adapt tactically on the fly. I mean, a lot of this game just sort of felt like the team finding self-belief. Like, I mean, this is, we talked about, a, a young team. There's a lot of young guys here, either, or at least in their first season in England. And, um, you know, like, 
like you guys said, this is the best. This is one of the best pressing teams in England. This is one of the best teams in England. And there was definitely some nervousness. You could see that. And then as they sort of, by skill and by luck, kind of survive that, you could see them finding their confidence. And that, you know, probably not completely coincidentally coincided with Arsenal having to slow down because, you know, they can't do that in the entire match. But, you know, as they sort of found their feet, they got more confident in how to deal with the press. And like you said, Ryan, I'm very excited to see sort of what we do the next time someone presses us because I don't think it's going to be such a sort of shock to the system. Like, I think it clearly was. Like, I think we knew it was coming, but still, you know, it's one thing to practice against it. It's another thing to sort of deal with it. Um, And I'm really interested to see how we handle it the next time uh, we run into it. Yeah, I mean, and also while we're talking about like what Arsenal does and doesn't do, I also was I was astounded by how little of a plan they had to attack us. Yeah. Their plan was we are going to press you, we're going to turn you over, and then we're going to score off of that. Okay, but what happens when you just have the ball? And they had no idea, and I was astounded by how single-minded Arteta was about his game plan. And like, I know that Nobody gives Ange credit, so I'm going to do it. But, like, Ange being able to build a team that they're like, we we played this way, and then we played a different way, and then we played a different way, just stood in so such stark contrast to what Arteta brought to that match was, we're going to press you, we're going to turn it over, we're going to score. Great, what else you got, buddy? We're going to press you, we're going to turn it over, <laughs> we're going to score. Um, and, like, it's... It was just it was really, really delightful uh, on both ends because I think Ange coached a good game and, and I think Arteta coached a terrible game. And that was fun to watch as it play out. Yeah, I think Arteta played that game like a very XG spreadsheet nerd. No offense to the spreadsheet <laughs> nerd, but like early on the I'm going to press, I'm going to create an opportunity and I'm going to score like it should have worked. They had some yeah. very good opportunity. I mean. You know, the one where Madison gets his pocket picked and Jesus skies it is like the chance of the match for Arsenal. And if that goes in, you know, they can probably keep playing that game and they probably turn us over pretty comfortably. Um, but they didn't. And, you know, I think he's the guy who's like looking at that. And he's like, our expected goals were so good. This is clearly working. When the reality is, is like they picked a few spots to have a few very good chances that didn't go in. And were so married to that approach that as the game changed around them, they never developed another gear. And you can't do that. Yeah, I mean, I, to be clear, I think that his... I think that was a good plan. I just think you should probably have more than one plan. And it, when we're sitting here talking about how like we've seen all these different things that Ange has brought out within the same system, and we saw it all on display in this game, it was so striking to see Arsenal just go out there with Arteta giving them one. I was like, oh, that that is a good plan, but you got nothing else, bud? It felt very much like, you know, the, uh, the you know, the cope last year for, for Spurs fans was like, God, just everything's working out for Arsenal. You know, like, they're not getting hurt. You know, these games are just lying. Like, they're getting the early chance or things are just working out for them. And this was where it felt like, like, oh, well, it's not working out for them and they don't know what to do. And it's finally like going the other way. Of course, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, we gifted them two goals. I mean, gifted in air quotes, but, you know, they, you know, they we, we handed them two goals there. So it sort of did work out for them, but they didn't, you know, their their system didn't create what they needed it to create. I mean, no, we created the, psych- sorry, I was going to say to get back into psychology class, it kind of felt like Arteta 
came into this game like we are the better team. We know how to play. We're going to go do what we want to do and then we're going to win. And then it didn't play out that way. But like it, 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 it reeked to me of some level of hubris there that. uh, Good luck with that. Like we saw how that played out and don't get me wrong. Like I I I don't think it's wrong to come into that game thinking like we're the better team. We're going to be able to to do our thing. But like to think that all you need to do is come up with one thing and that's going to work. I, I do think is a level of hubris that like he I think there's an element there that he treated us to some degree like we were Burnley. And I'm like, hmm, yeah, we're going to we're going to punch them in the mouth. They're going to fold. And then what? And it's like, OK, well, what happens when they don't fold? <laughs> right. I mean, it honestly felt like the way some of our more frustrating games of the Pochettino era went where we were like, you don't need to create anything. The press is the greatest creator. And, <laughs> you know, that's fine. And when it didn't work, we kind of didn't have a, a, a good plan B. Plan A was very good, and it made us one of the best teams in the league, but it was not a very diverse way of creating chances. Um, you know, we still had other stuff in our locker, and so did Arsenal, but it, it, it was a very similar kind of banging your hands against the wall and then being, like, frustrated. Why I don't know why this didn't work. It, it looked so good on paper. It, it started out so well. Where did it all go wrong? And then, you know, Wolves scored two on us. So this was obviously Spurs' biggest test of the season. Uh, I think a lot of us were very curious how it was going to go. Now we have another big test, and we have Liverpool next week. Uh, how are you feeling going into that match? Ryan, I'll start with you. I, I feel like I've watched Spurs play Liverpool before, so not good. <laughs> Fair enough. That's that's fair enough. We've all watched that video on Twitter and in real life. So, I mean, look, the the curse of Liverpool, as real as a curse is, is real, uh, you know, but the version of Liverpool we're playing is a very incomplete Liverpool. And they're the kind of team that is. They're, they used to be a very strong defensive side and a very capable of attacking side. Right now, they are not a very strong defensive side. They don't have a very robust midfield, and they're still a very strong attacking side. Um, they have had they've conceded the first goal, I think, in like four of the last five matches. They have had to make hard work of coming back into games and then winning comfortably. Um, but I think that does set the table for the kind of, you know, throwing haymakers at each other kind of match that we've really been bracing ourselves for, I think, the whole Ange yeah. era is like, you know, we're not a super robust defensive team. We have a system, whatever, but, like, we're here to attack and we'll concede some goals and we're going to score more than you. This is, I think, two teams who are kind of operating on a very similar level in that respect. And I have no idea how it's going to shake out. Oh, but, I, I have a very good idea how it's going to shake out. <laughs> yeah, we know out, exactly but, how it's going to shake yeah. out. But I, I think you're right. It's going to be some real cocaine football, I think. It's going to be, I think it's going to be, I, then again, like Spurs played a much, I don't want to say much more. They played a more conservative game than I thought they were capable of playing against Arsenal without retreating into themselves. So maybe we'll be able to exert some of that control. I, I think this game is going to come down to kind of like in the way the Arsenal game did. Um you know, can Liverpool break us before we get going? 
Uh, and even with the own goal, that didn't really happen against Arsenal. Like we were sort of able to find our game before it got out of hand. And I think that's how this game is going to go. I'm really curious to see. Um, so Liverpool play on, I don't, I, I think on Wednesday they play a, a league cup game and then they play us on the weekend. So there, there is some amount of rotation they're going to have to go with. And they obviously have Salah and they have Diaz and they have Nunez and they have Jota and they have Gakpo. And I'm curious who Klopp is going to choose to play against us because I can't remember who they play in the league cup, but it's someone bad. So like he really does get to prioritize. It's, it's, uh, like, these are the guy- oh, there you go. So exactly. Someone bad. And mm. he's going to get to pick. He's going to get to pick the, the guys that he most wants to play against us. Like that's where he's starting from. And while we're talking about how Arteta came in with a level of hubris, I think, and uh, let's just call it a thin game plan, um, I don't think that's going to be true of Klopp. And I think what forward line he puts out there and how he chooses to deploy them, I think that is going to be really instructive for me in terms of like, where is Ange? Where is this team? What are they really looking like? The way that Klopp, enters this match and approaches this match. I I think that will tell me a lot uh, personally, because I think that that is going to give away a lot of how we are viewed by another very good manager. I mean, you know, I think Klopp has a lot of options in in his attack. And I think, I think the, the real thing is going to be, is he going to play a high pressing center forward or is he going to play Darwin? Right? Like that's the question. And I think he is going to have watched this game and see how much we struggled with Arsenal's press. And even if he doesn't take us seriously, I think he's going to recognize the value in having a high, a higher defensive uh, effort center forward out there and then maybe throw Darwin out there for the last 30 minutes to take one of our guys in the head and not get sent off for it. Yeah. And then accidentally score in the process. (laughs) Um, But I wouldn't be surprised if, that's that's the same game plan that they they roll. I, I mean, and just trust that they I wouldn't, are better enough to make it stick. I w- I wouldn't be surprised. I don't. I'm not entirely sure what we're gonna get because I could easily see that, but I could also see him looking at us and saying, if we get men behind the ball, we defend a little bit. They and we can basically just deny touches to Madison. They cannot break us down and they will commit men forward. They will give us space. A guy like Darwin can exploit that and like. I a, a player we did not talk about in the Arsenal game was Van de Ven, who I thought was incredible. Yep. And to, to quickly touch upon that, he, he signed for the club 50 days ago. He was supposed to be the raw guy who needed work. And uh, he's put like two foot feet wrong the entire season. And both times were just so fast that he made up for it. Nothing has gone wrong. Like he's been amazing. It's it's also worth pointing out with Van de Ven, like the highlight we all saw of him was him chasing down that guy. He hasn't had to, we, we haven't seen anything close to that out of I mean he's used his recovery speed, but like yeah. he hasn't had to do he, that. He's yet. been amazing. <laughs> but also I, I do think there's something to that too of like does does Klopp think that yeah, we can press him, but does Klopp think that there's something to be exploited there between Van de Ven and Kuti in space on the counter? Because I think we that early in the season that there were some issues there and how we defended against that. 
does he still think it's there? Or does he look at those center backs and go, that's probably not how we want to try and attack them. We would rather go after them on the ball and make them give it to us as opposed to run at them. I, I could easily see this going either direction in which way that Klopp chooses to approach it, I think will clarify a lot of my own thoughts of our first six games because uh, Klopp is smarter at football than me. So what he says is probably true. The but other thing about... Dare give yeah. that man any credit. <laughs> The other thing about uh, Klopp's game plan is if he if he has a game plan that relies on like Spurs committing men forward, like, I understand that it leaves us vulnerable. But like, I mean, this isn't the Liverpool defense of two three years ago anymore. If we're committing men forward, there's a very real chance that also. I mean, okay, if we were not Tottenham Hotspur, there's a very real chance that that like is something that Liverpool would really regret and could pay for. And I think like that that's where I think Ben had it right on earlier which is like this is just going to be that it's going to be two teams throwing haymakers at each other for 90 minutes or at least a large portion of those 90 minutes i i think i think there's going to be a lot going on here and it's weird if you think about it this year i feel like liverpool have made more defense like like i guess there's been more glaring errors if i was just to pick moments off the top of my head out of them this year which is maybe not like a fair way to you know judge defenses on a team but like i feel like if it weren't Spurs against Liverpool, I would say that like if someone's gonna have like a real clown shoes moment, I'd probably bet on Trent or someone um, before us. But you know, I mean, look, we know in the early Pochettino era, we had the rub of these games. You know, we had the Lamella penalty and you know several incidents where luck was in our corner and we stole points from Liverpool, and then everything since then has been very bad. So I think the most revealing thing about this game is, is are we going to get stupidly lucky and signal no. the dawn of no. an era that is mm. wonderful? Or no. are we going to get unlucky and are we going to be pegged back to the Conte Mourinho years? Because that's really the question. I, I, did we did we just did we enter astrology class now? Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, I think we've we've entered. Uh... You know, we're we're looking at guts in each like in ancient room. We're cutting the pigeon <laughs> open and you know, looking at yeah, trying read to find trails. Yeah, exactly. So we'll see. So I don't Greg know. thought about the Roman Empire today. Yeah, well, Brian, <laughs> like several times <laughs> I've thought about the Roman Empire today. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's I'm fascinated, but like much like the North London Derby, I don't think I'm ever going to feel good going into playing Liverpool. There's just too much. Trap. There's too many traffic accidents there in previous years, especially, especially last year. But um, I don't know. I do think I, I feel like everybody's a little higher on Liverpool than I am. They just, you know, they, they just look like there's a lot of, especially at the back. They look, they just look so shaky. I, I think there's, there, I, I think that attack's still really good, but I think they're, you know, they're, they're going to get had by a couple teams this year. Maybe probably not us, but someone. Yeah, I mean, I also think it's interesting just in terms of the context of our season where we're a week removed or three days removed, whatever the hell it's been from like, yeah, we've looked pretty good, but we haven't played anybody really yet. And by the time we get to Sunday, um, we'll be looking at this and saying we've played two of our eight ish toughest games of the season already and, and kind of looking as we look forward and if you're planning or expecting this team to get a little bit better as the season goes on the way the schedule shakes out after that i start looking at it and you're like now we're not just talking about improvement we're not talking about 
how does the Ange system take hold and anything like that? You're you're looking very realistically at the table and saying, here's where we stand. We're ready, you know, a quarter of the way through the toughest games that we have on the season all year. We've got Luton, Fulham, Palace Chelsea. coming up. Yeah, another trash team. And, and like, there's a chance to really to make some hay in, in the table um, and position this team for this season in a way and start thinking about it in a real way that is far more tangible than I think we have. Cause I think it's been a lot of not just vibes, but progress and, and things that you're not just really measuring in terms of table and results. And I think you start getting to a point where it's kind of impossible not to look at that. And, and God forbid we win on Saturday. Like, what does that look like when we have that conversation? Man, go, go outside, spin three times and spit. Like, I, I I think like I would really like it if I if Ange could get a scout quick, quick. like so that's just not something that we're waiting on you know it's like when's he gonna beat a big uh, team I would I would like I mean, to get we that just scout. got Man U they're shitty this year but we did beat Man U and like, I mean people in England perfect. will pretend that's a scout that is actually fair but like I would like a real scout like I mean yeah I, I guess in this. The vibes are so good. The progress is there. The holes in the team are evident, and I have confidence that we are going to address them in the upcoming transfer windows that I don't even feel a particular need to to have that statement win where like people have to say that, oh, well, look at them now. Look at what they did. I truly am starting to get to a point where like I'm just looking at the table and being like, yep. There's that is our path right there and say what they want. Who did we play? Who did we not play? Uh, it, the only part that I'm, I'm getting to a point is like, I want to see how that's reflected in the table, not in terms of what I can lord over people, because to go into a season of please don't suck, please don't suck, feel a little bit nice, make some progress to it's at the end of September, we're looking at the table and being like, we can do some damage like that. I, I'll take that over whatever anyone is saying on Sky any day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, I, I, it's always nice to come out of a North London Derby feeling as good about the team. And I, I don't want to look that gift horse in the mouth. So it's time to wrap it up. We'll be here. We'll play to cry about next week, probably. Ben, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter saying all the things about Brennan Johnson I didn't get to say today. Yeah, I was trying uh, to keep it positive. I was trying to keep it positive. I figure we're going to have plenty of time for you to go on a rant about Brennan Johnson. Yeah, and I, I kept it together. I didn't even interject it into the conversation. Glad you picked up on that. So <laughs> uh, you can find me on Twitter <laughs> at Comrade Spurs. <laughs> Ryan, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me at the criminally underrated, underdiscussed internet, twitter.com at skipjack0079 in Star Trek class. Thank you. That's a great place to be. You can find uh, me on Twitter uh, talking about Star Trek at Ryan Rosenblatt. Um, that's Ryan with a Y. Um, don't forget to follow our Twitter account at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheelie Deal Radio for Ben. For Ryan, for Brian, and of course for Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Skip, uh, Greg. <laughs> Going back into old habits there. Uh, enjoy your lunch. <laughs>